Obviously, we're very much in an inflationary environment and quality assets really stand to gain from that. So having your money working inside of good assets not only allows you for good appreciation, but you've got continued great rent operations and the demand for storage has not been shrinking at all. The millennial generation is now becoming the largest users of storage, more so than we've seen in the past. You're listening to the Expertish Podcast. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Spotify and tell Jay what you thought about this episode. Expertish is where you can learn how to invest from those who have, those who are, and have some fun along the way. Are you ready to start? Hey, welcome to this episode of Expertish Podcast. And I have another awesome guest today, Zach. Zach Morrow, how are you doing today? Doing good, Jay. Excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on talking with us today. Zach is a fellow veteran, Marine Corps, right? Correct. And we yeah. still let you come on and talk anyway. So Yeah, exactly. I already had my fair share of crowns before we got started, so <laughs> won't be uh, won't be hungry during the show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right on, man. Well, hey, let's just jump right into it. I say this every time, but we start talking beforehand and then I always wish I'd hit record before we even started kind of doing a catch up. So I'll jump right in and let's kick off with, you know, where you started like Marine Corps coming into there and then that next transition, you know, cause I think that as a veteran, that's a pretty tough piece for some people is moving on from what you think, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. So, you know, I'll tell you, I'm um, going into the Marine Corps. Uh, interestingly enough was the first time I ever didn't take my dad's advice first time in my life. And uh, obviously I've got a great relationship with my father. He was a Marine as well, but I was coming out of high school. You know, I was just processing what I wanted to do, what I wanted life to look like. And, you know, obviously the allure of the Marine Corps really attracted me going out to, you know, challenge yourself, serve your country. And let's be honest, push it to the limit, you know? (laughs) Right. And so my dad was like, listen, if you're going to go into the Corps, why don't you go to school first and uh, then go as an officer? I'm like, nah, dad, I want to go now. You know, I can always go back to school, you know? But I know right now I want to do this. So it wasn't that my dad was discouraging me from the core. He was actually uh, just saying, well, if you're going to do it, you know, do this. You know, and at the time going into the core, I thought when I came out, I'd want to go into federal law enforcement. Right. And I thought, you know, I'm pretty pragmatic. I, I reverse engineer things. I'm thinking like, what's the goal? How do I accomplish it? And then, you know, what are the steps to get there? And so I thought, well, I want to go into the Marine Corps. And if I'm going to go into federal law enforcement, I need a degree. Well, hey, I can go into the Marine Corps, gain some great experience, pad up the resume, have a great time, then actually go to school afterwards, you know, Corps take course, care school for me. And so I kind of always knew that I was likely going to do one term. I, I did five years. And, you know, during that time, I ended up, you know, I went in 0311, which for those who don't know, obviously all the vets listening know that's a Marine rifleman. So I was infantry. But with inside the infantry field, I ended up getting pulled out of boot camp and started getting like interviewed during boot camp, really not knowing what I was being interviewed for, and ended up getting selected for a presidential security force program. So went to school of infantry after boot camp, went out to security force training in Virginia, and then I was in DC. And I ended up in DC for the rest of my time. And so I was on, you know, presidential security force there and spent time in that area. But during that time, you know, I went in single. I eventually found the lady I loved and we got married and had a young daughter. And, you know, that kind of changes some things as far as perspective before I was like, you know, wherever they want to send me, whatever they want to do, let's go for it. But then after that, I started thinking, you learn a lot about what you like and what you don't like. And one thing that I knew was that 
Uh, in the core, I was always going to have to put my work before my family. And that was uh, apparent. And, you know, I started to want to shift that. So I started looking at, you know, what I wanted to do after. And, you know, as I spent time working around a lot of federal law enforcement, being in DC and different things, you know, I've spent time FBI, CIA, NSA, you know, all that type of environment. And I've got a lot of friends that ended up doing that. But for me, I had to start processing from the family perspective. And I wanted to find a way to transition out of the core and be able to provide the life for my family that I felt like was right for us. And, and for us, that was, you know, me finding a way to not only have the financial freedom, but the time freedom to be able to spend with them and to, to be present. And, um, you know, I knew that was something I wanted and, but I definitely didn't have it at the time. And I knew it was going to be something that wasn't easy to get. So, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps, it was, you know, I'm going to find a way to utilize my skills to try to build a business. Right. And, um, you know, whenever I was in DC, obviously I had a very strong security resume, but I wanted to open my own business. And so I ended up moving back to, you know, around where I graduated high school or my wife's family's from, uh, in West Texas and, uh, ended up attending Texas tech. I was working full-time going to school full-time and working on opening a business and, um, ended up opening a business working to kind of grow that business. But, um, I went from somebody that had a skill set to now being a business owner. And I realized that it was a different shift, you know, yeah. you know, uh, before the show, we were kind of talking about like there's phases in life and there can be numerous phases. And one, I would just like let everybody know that it's okay to have numerous phases, you know, Absolutely. transitions are good. Evolution is good. You know, we, we all heard it a, a million times, but improvise, adapt and overcome. So it's, it's understanding what you're trying to work towards and, and right. being okay with the hard work in between and figuring out what are the stepping stones to get you kind of where you want to go. So I knew that I wanted more financial freedom, more time freedom, but I wasn't hundred percent certain how to get there, but I felt like business was going to be the best route. And so that's kind of the route I went, but quickly I realized that I needed to learn how to be a business owner, manage and operate a business and not just have a skill set with inside that business. And so uh, the transition towards that happened. And so that kind of created a new phase where I went from, you know, kind of being an owner operator to trying to figure out how to be a real owner not an easy transition when you're in the, in the midst of it, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're having to keep the thing going, but at the same time, trying to level up and learn the new skill. And so for me, that was getting connected with a good mentor oh. and uh, finding somebody that was a lot further ahead in business and had more years of experience to help kind of coach and mentor me. And interestingly enough, after working with him for a couple of years, uh, really made a sense to transition where I actually sold the things that I had been building mm-hmm. and then came over full time to be a part of the team in his operation, which leads me to where we're at today. So now I've been building and growing uh, inside of his firm and uh, we've been working on development of things together, which puts us now in the investment environment. Right. And so that's that's what I do now is uh, we manage and operate investment funds, hedge funds and uh, put together investment offerings inside that space. So that's kind of the, the, the short story. We can pick out, you know, a ton of stuff to kind of focus on, but you know, as far as a brief background, that's the, that's the light version. I think that's awesome. And I did kind of, uh, you know, like you mentioned that we talked about before we started recording that you can have those different phases and those different phases can, I guess, uh, how, how would you say they can be catalysts for, or those can fill needs at different times in your life as well. Kind yeah. of, you know, like, like you said, military you started off single, you're doing whatever, then you have a family to consider. And I think something to point out too, before we dive too much in the investing part is, you know, we talk about investing a lot. 
investing comes in the phases too, right? Like, and that's something that I think maybe we should take a little more time sometimes to put out there when we're talking about all this stuff, like not everyone is right for the same amount of risk or the same type of aggression and investing at different parts of the life. Hey, there's, there's times when you have to do what you need to do, get your kids through school, or, you know, and you still want to invest, you still want to do the right things, but then there's times like, Hey, kids are out of school or, you know, you're already set up to a certain degree where you're, you, you know, you're safe. And so the, the rest, you can be more aggressive and things like that. So I kind of want to, I'm trying to take a little time to mention that occasionally on, on yeah. here, because I don't want it to be like, everyone's going to do the same thing. I'm going to do everything's going to do the same thing you're going to do, or, uh, you know, or anybody that comes on here, because, you know, there's, there's a different flavor of investing for everyone. Right. hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. That's a very important point. So like, you know, I'm sure later in the show, we're going to talk about the styles of investing mm-hmm. that we are doing as a firm right now. But I will tell you, even as an investment firm that's been in business, you know, coming up on 16 years, it has gone in phases of what it's investing in, why it's focused there. And it's it's on a progressive growth pattern and different things are more suitable for different people or different businesses at different times. And so, you know, for those who are first coming out, like I couldn't have came into this position whenever I just got out of the Marine Corps. It took years of trial and error of running my own business, going through that tough work, gaining mentorship, sharpening the sword. And it wasn't like during that time, I wasn't continuing to study. I mean, I'm reading business books. I'm working with mentors. I'm studying. I'm seeking new skills. I think for everybody, you know, on the journey of investing and financial freedom of life, we always have to be processing where do we want to go? And then asking where we're at, taking inventory of our resources, our skills, and then kind of reverse engineering, what's the gap in the middle? Right. So this is just basic gap principle. Where do I want to go? Where am I at? And what's it going to take? And for me to be able to come into this position, I've even had to grow even inside the position since I've been here for X amount of years, right? So th- right. there's always going to be new levels of growth and opportunity. And I think that the more we can recognize where we're at right. and process where we're trying to get to, we can reverse engineer the skills that we need and the resources that we need. And so, you know, in certain cases, it's going out and, you know, having an additional, you know, side business or creating additional income where you're actively operating something to increase your income. Right. But then at a certain point, it could be growing into your own business. At a certain point, it could be going into a partnership. At a certain point, it could be actually investing into something where you're putting your capital to work versus putting your time to work. In all levels of investing, there's going to be two things that you can give, and it's either your time (laughs) and your experience or your money. And uh, both of those can earn you opportunity, right? Right. And so for certain of us, we have way more time to offer than we have investment capital. And you're probably going to have to put that time forward to go and create a return. And then for others, once you've kind of moved on to the next level, we have more capital to put to work. Well, then it's a transition of finding uh, the right places to allocate into and finding ways to put your capital to work. So right. yeah, the, the, the phases look completely different for everybody. Yeah. And uh, it's also going to be different whether you're you know running your own business or you're working on you know off of an income. So yeah. Well, and, and when you're kind of at that, uh, I guess, fork in the road too, that can be the most chaotic time, right? If, when you, <laughs> could, you can, you might be doubling down on, like you might be 
owner operator, like, so you may be, you know, have a business, but you're still kind of the main operator in it at the same yep. time that you're going from like, you know, one type of investing to like, you're ready to start moving from the time to the money investing part. All that can start hitting around one time that becomes crazy chaotic, you know, to be able to decipher what's, what's the right step. But it, like you were saying too, of the different points in your life and be able to, I guess, the self-awareness of knowing where you want to be because that's another thing I've seen and I've done it before is been on a track and like, you're so like focused on this target you've put in front of yourself that you keep going. And sometimes you're missing an opportunity or sometimes you're just going a bit too far when you should have done a little bit of a course correction. Right. right. So I think that's another thing is just, man, just routine kind of, uh, I don't know, self-reflection times, you know, whether it's quarterly yeah. six months or whatever, you know, especially in your business. Because mm-hmm. I've found that a few times where I'm like, man, I wish I would have just made this little adjustment like three months ago would have made yeah. a big difference in time or, or money, you know? For sure. Well, we got a lot of vets listening. So for all my vets out there that are listening, I mean, you guys can understand it. You know, we always stop and take inventory, but like you, you got to process before you start an operation, it's all counter Intel. It's all reconnaissance, right? We're going out and we're trying to gather as much data as necessary to figure out what it's going to take to achieve the objective. Right. So that's, that's what we would do. We need to do that on a regular basis. So, I mean, this can be weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I like to process like, you know, obviously you have, you know, 12 months quarterly, but on monthly and those, for those who haven't done 12 months and you're, you're learning the skill. I mean, you can have, I think monthly, a monthly objective with weekly milestones, and then like a daily time of reminding yourself of what these milestones are and how you're going to get there each week uh, works really well. But, you know, for us, once you get clear on your objective and you start the mission, well, then you got to go all in. Right. So we know that during the planning phase, we spend plenty of time second guessing and figuring out what's the best way to operate. But when you get in there and you're actually in the fight, you're moving forward with, you know, reckless abandonment and absolute resolve. So we have to attack the days in that way, but we attack the months as if we're planning, right? right. And in the in reconnaissance phase. So, you know, we all know caution kills when you're on the battlefield. So you got to move forward with a tenacious resolve and you're going forward with no steps backward. But yeah. if you don't actually know where you're trying to get to, to achieve the objective, you're going to be running it right. the wrong way. Yeah. So a regular understanding, and I think that, you know, a good place to start really is monthly. And for, you know, as you grow and scale, timelines become larger. Yeah. And so, you know, as you're allocating more capital and things like that, your, your outlooks will become larger and further away. And so you'll be building out. But for those who are getting started, I think monthly is a great place to, to really start. Yeah, I agree. Also, it's not so large, but it's also small, you know, it's small enough to where it seems manageable, but it will let you know when you get to that month and you've done what, I mean, I think we've all done at different times, like not as effective today. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to handle that tomorrow or whatever the case is. And quickly three weeks go by and you're going, Oh crap, this is in the month (laughs) I've met one of my, you know, five milestones for this month. And uh, you know, and it's, and it wasn't because of some, uh, you know, laziness or whatever, but just not being, you know, very, I guess, intentional on a daily basis to get to those goals. And it really starts to ingrain in you why the daily makes such a big difference in, you know, and like you said, as you scale up and you grow, it's going to make the big difference. It's the daily that makes the difference in the year, two year, three year, five year goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, you mentioned transition earlier. So mm-hmm. for all of us, while we're in the military, I think that we, it's, it's very rare that we lack clarity, right. True. On a day-to-day basis. It, typically, you know, 
what it's going to look like and how to achieve the objective. Right. I mean, that's, that's relatively standard, obviously, you know, on the battlefield, things look a little bit different and can get chaotic in the moments, but you know what you're trying to accomplish. And so you have more clarity and in clarity, you have more certainty. One of the most difficult things about transitioning out is in most cases, you're going to lose the clarity and now you're going to become responsible for it. And a lot of times we haven't been trained to do that. And so that's a really difficult thing to do. And so finding a way to regiment your time to create clarity for yourself is critical for your long-term success. Not, and honestly, just for your daily enjoyment, your own pleasure, like nobody likes feeling unclear, uncertain, and we're all, we're all trained to be able how to, how to attack and move forward. So, you know, give your, give yourself a target, you know, and then go after those targets, but coming out and figuring out, well, what is the new target? How do I get there? You know, those are all things that they're acquired skills for sure. Yeah. And then when you, when you set those, you set those targets ahead of you in in manageable pieces, when you hit those targets, it kind of gets you that motivation or kind of gives you that little kick to be awesome. What's the next one, you know, where, yeah. The ones, if you set them too far down the road and you're not getting there, you, you almost, it's, it's harder to get there because you don't have those little milestones. You don't have the little victories, So it just seems so far away. It's uh, easy to miss that mark. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. I, you know, <laughs> one of the things I always remember from shooting on the range mm-hmm. is they always, you, you always heard clear tip, blurry target, right? That's the same thing here. When we have qualification on the range, there's a 500 yard spot for qual. And when you're qualifying, you're shooting for 500 yards. Well, that target's pretty darn small because it's pretty far away, right? Well, we still know what the target is. And once we get clear on the target, once we know what we're shooting at, well, then we focus on the site tip, which is just right there in front of us. Right. And we get clear on that next step. It's the first thing in front of you. And I think that once you know what your target is, you can get real clear on the next step. But if you're always focusing on the thing that's so far away, you're never going to hit the target. Yes. Right. Yeah. So if we just put these things way out there, it becomes extremely difficult to hit the target unless you can set it up and then rein it back in and focusing on that next mm-hmm. thing right in front of you. Yeah. I like that. That's a great analogy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that right, Go ahead. right now. <laughs> and I'm going to take full credit for it myself. Yeah, yeah, just, so, just so we're clear. I don't, I don't want to you know, lie to you. Practically acquired. That's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> Right on. No. Yeah. I think that is great because that clarity is huge. Oh man. I get so frustrated with myself when I kind of miss that. Now it's for me, the big one is the quarterly because, uh, you know, most of the time, as long as you only, if I only screw up one quarter, as far as what my focus is, it only takes one to kick myself in the butt to make sure that it gets made up and, and always hit the annual goals. Right. So I'll blow by those. Just sometimes maybe it is good that I even blow the one of them. Cause it keeps me, uh, you know, like, I don't know, kind of beat myself up a little bit right. and get out there and double down on the next quarter or something like that. But yeah, I do. I do believe in that a ton. You just got to have those small, uh, those smaller targets to keep working through and especially starting out. Another thing when you're talking about transitioning into kind of the civilian world, both in business, but also in leadership, kind of leadership with teams in say the military. It took me, I guess, a little bit of a struggle or a little bit of frustration at first working with people outside where it was, I mean, it was my problem, but I was like doing things the same that gave great results forever before. And then I was like, why is this not working the same here? Why can't you know, why isn't it clicking with these people or, you know, this group of people or whatever the case is. And then it just hit me finally one day when I was like, dude, what am I doing wrong? And then I had to step back and go, oh my God, man, before like my newest 
the newest person coming to one of our teams would have been already vetted through, you know, half dozen schools and training for a year and a half, sometimes, you know, two years before they ever get to us. That's the new person. So they've shown that they wanted to be at that point in time, you know, as the new guy, after that much of uh, effort vetting, you know, persistence, way different from having someone who's just like walking in day one. It's a total new thing for them, but it, I don't know how that, I mean, literally, I, I think that escaped me for a year, like literally a year where I'm like, why is this so different? And it's just, you know, it hasn't been pre-vetted for you. Someone hasn't put a year and a half because that's experience too, even though it's training, that's experience. That, that's a, that's a really good identifier because um, I'm sure anybody that's listening that has transitioned is down to a leadership position outside has felt that frustration. I know I've felt it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, plenty. So I absolutely relate. And so for anybody that is transitioning, know that you're, you're going to, you're probably going to go through that. Right. But in those who have relate, but yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah, they, they've not only committed to it, but they've been being trained and groomed for it, um, for a lot of time prior, whereas, you know, new people coming in, in the civilian environment or, or, or in a new position, typically, you know, they aren't necessarily committed. They don't have a year two years invested to being a part of your unit, if you right. will. Right. And they may not understand the culture the same way we would understand the culture, right? Because right. the culture is upheld, you know, from top to bottom. And I think that, you know, w- we all are conditioned for mission accomplishment first and troop welfare second. But I find that at least it's been my experience that it's typically the reverse. Um, in the civilian world is most people are coming in where first, they're there for themselves and then later can become there for the mission because again, they haven't had two years committed where they've already identified that this is exactly what they do, where they want to be. Right. So they're, they're coming and learning it and they're, they're typically coming to a new job or a new position because they're trying to grow something in their life. Right. But by creating and managing the culture appropriately and then grooming them forward, you know, eventually you can bring them into a position where um, it is, it does become mission accomplishment first and it becomes a team rather than a group of individuals. So um, doesn't mean it's easy. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure we've both done it uh, the wrong way uh, plenty of times, but um, you know, that's been some of my identifying factors as well as you know, seeing that, that transition time does, it is, it is different. I'm pretty good at doing things the wrong way. Um, You know, it it seems to be especially mine, Uh, but I do, I will, I will say I usually learn from them quickly or learn from those wrong ways. But uh, yeah, I do. I do like, uh, especially early on, I feel like I was really stubborn as far as like, no, I can make that work. Like, you know, a halfway wrong decision is like, nope, I can make it work. And you can a lot of times, right. You can make these small business decisions that you're like, no, I'm going to do it that way because I committed to it and you can make it work. But, um, it's back to what you're talking about before. Like, you know, you analyze and plan and stuff. And then once you come up with your best plan, then you kind of, you know, move forward and then you're committed. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, on some of the things when you don't analyze and plan well, but you're like, right. oh, I need to make a decision. You start it and you get some signs early on and you're like, oh, you know what, maybe I need to step back, replan and go. But it's like, no, no, I'm committed. Right. And I'm going to make this work. And then you're just like, man, I just spent so much more time to get to the same, re- same result. I could have taken one step back and probably one step left and been there, you know, so much faster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's another one too. Is like re- early on, it was like, man, yeah, I just committed sometimes all into the wrong things, you know, and, and it's small things I'm talking the small things, but the small things 
just eat up your time, which keep you from doing the the big things, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So like when we're processing resolve, obviously we want to have resolve, but we also want to have that regular interval of, of checking where we actually hit. You know, I think back to the range is after every single shot, you're Mm -hmm. making adjustments, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you had that first shot go, you see where you landed, where you marked, right? And then you're adjusting for windage, you're adjusting elevation, all those uh, adjustments in between. And then you go back, still the same target, still same weapon, you know, still the same operator, but we make adjustments between each shot. So we see where we're hitting, where we're landing. We make adjustments. A couple months ago, I was at an event in Miami and I was visiting with a guy and um, he was actually a vet as well, but um, we're at, it was an investment event. And, you know, we kind of started visiting and the way he said it, he's like, Zach, I hold a lot of firm beliefs loosely held. You know, so he's like, I, I do things strongly, but I'm willing to change my ways very right. quickly if it if it's not going how it should go. Right. So. No, I like that too. Yeah, that's 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 very important as well. And yeah, I'm just kind of thinking right now. You say some some of these things when you mention it, then I start thinking right away. Certain uh, points pop in my head of like, yep, that would have been a good, good time to apply this or that or whatever. <laughs> it's weird how things just flash back. It's kind of like, yeah, remember this dummy should have done this a little differently, but um, yeah, no, that's a great, that's, that's a great point. You know, you hold those firm until they're proven otherwise. Right. Right. Find a better way and, and roll with it. You did mention uh, when we, when we started to about like uh, how much of difference it made when you found your, you know, your mentor, which now obviously, you know, you're working with still, what was the, that process for you? Because I think that is a struggle too, for a lot of people. Like I didn't have a you know mentor when I kicked off my business at all. And we eventually kind of land on some, sometimes many, but it sounds like you, you know, really found a great mentor and it's like grown into a, you know, great relationship. How, how was that process for you? So, you know, originally I was very much a person who I thought I had to do things on my own, you know, and I eventually realized that there was a lot of resources for help. You know, so I would say that no matter what you're struggling with is just realize that there is a lot of opportunities for help. And that could be as simple as finding a video on YouTube or it can be finding a book. But, you know, I heard it interestingly said that you've got people that have 40, 50 years of experience at the highest level of business, at the highest level of training and understanding in whatever realm you're looking for. And typically what took them 40 years to gain, you can read about that in a book in a couple hours. Right. right. Or a right. podcast. So it would say, don't think you have to do it the hard way. Right. Or other ways to grow and scale inside that mm-hmm. space to acquire the skills. So for me, you know, if I'm processing where we want to grow, mm-hmm. I ask myself the question is who's already an expert in this area and how do I learn from them? So we've done that and we continue to do that in a variety of different ways. So whenever I was in business, the first one came naturally through Blake. He was actually utilizing our service and we were doing business together became kind of grew a relationship and friendship. And then I saw how successful he was with his business. And I'm like, started asking questions, right. Just being curious. And then, you know, he'd be answering questions and then eventually came into a more formal relationship as far as like, you know, coaching and consulting and things like that. Mm -hmm. But what we do even in today, so like, you know, we manage investment funds. So we've got real estate funds, we've got hedge funds inside of the crypto space, crypto and blockchain technology, and when we're going into new asset classes, you know, we understand how to run and manage and operate funds, build funds, create funds, and, and have done it you know, successfully for a lot of years. But even when you're going into a new asset class, we identify, okay, we want to be in this asset class. Who do we need to add to the team mm-hmm. to make this the best it can be? Right. And I think that 
no matter if you're the business owner, the CEO, whatever it is, you should always be asking and looking for people on your team that are smarter than you at certain things, right? right? Or at least more experienced inside of a certain space, right? Because you know your job shouldn't be to be the expert at everything. It should be right. how to find experts at everything. It's not always like, how do I do something? It's who do I need? Right. That's the question we ask more often. Right. Because how requires me to completely transform who I am. And then I'm starting from zero whenever I could potentially just partner with somebody or bring somebody on or create a relationship. There's all kinds of different ways you can right. format it. But we just continue to ask the question of who, not how. And yeah. um, then look for people inside those spaces. And, and that could be, you know, you need help with sales. You need help with marketing. You need help, you know, in a certain asset class. You need help with the operation side or the creation side. It, there's there's a variety of things, but that self-awareness comes back to it. And so, you know, we're always taking inventory of where we're at as a business and then asking based off understanding where we want to get to. It's that same gap principle. And we ask, ask who, who can be the person. So then we find a way to either learn from them, partner with them or do business together. Right. And I think that's uh, when you said, you know, finding the people that are the top of those different areas, I think that's important too. And I think probably where, especially early on mentor comes in very handy as well, because I know um, what I've seen with a lot of people starting business. And I saw it with ours too, is there's a lot of people out there that are great at marketing to people with businesses, but not necessarily great at like even marketers, for instance, like they'll market to someone, but it doesn't mean they can market for you. You know, right. and it takes a little bit, you you know, either someone that you're partnering with or a mentor or something to help you weed through that, or, or it takes you being in it long enough to be able to see what you actually need and stuff and what questions to ask to find out if these experts are really, you know, the experts that you need to. Mm-hmm. So that's another tricky, it's a tricky one when you're starting off because you, sometimes you don't know how to vet what you do need. Yeah. So, so one is, is being able to identify what you do need. And sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And you didn't right. know you needed that thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody that's further along in business and, and successful, you're obviously always going to be wanting to look for people that have yeah. done the thing, right? right. <laughs> you know, right. they actually achieve and they yeah. have a track record of success so they can help you see areas of deficiency. But when you're looking for specialties, um, especially in specialties in areas that you're not as familiar with, you know, one thing I, I think that is a, a helpful tool is I find that I would go out and interview a lot of people mm-hmm. and find the consistencies and inconsistencies. Cause you're going to, you're going to see the differences, right? You might've got on an interview with a group and you're like, Hey, I think they can do the marketing for us or whatever. Right. right. But if you don't have, you know, if you don't really know what you don't know, you know, there could be a lot of fluff in there. And then you interview, you know, five more groups and you realize like, Oh, that one doesn't shine quite as bright as I thought it was going to shine. You know, right. Why did all five of these say something completely different than they did? Yeah. And so from there it's intelligence gathering, you know, and um, finding consistencies and inconsistencies and you'll learn a lot. And if you ask good Mm. questions, right. Right. Like your job's not to know the answers, but you can ask the same person, what would you do if you were in my position? Right. And then see how they explain it. Do they really know? Yeah. Then ask all of them the same thing and, you know, see see where they go compare and contrast. Yeah. I found a a little, I guess, self-protection mechanism when I was kind of dealing with this early on when I just, like you said, didn't know what I didn't know, whatever it was I was looking for, maybe just find, like, make sure I understood one thing. 
one little piece of it. And so then, you know, ask these questions, ask these questions. And that piece that I understood, I would say something totally wrong and be like, oh, and of course I want to make sure that you understand how to do that. Cause I know this is very important mm-hmm. and you, that you're able to do X, Y, Z, you know, cause it's one of the most important things, you know, from what I understand. And then <laughs> if they're all like, yeah, absolutely. We can do, you know, or, or whatever. I'm like, all right, well now the, thank you. You made that easy. So that yeah, was my you. way of bluffing to get through those interviews you know, and the people are like, no, actually that's not a good idea at all. I'm like, all right, cool. We can continue talking, you know, yeah, especially if, and they have to have the ability to be candid with you as well. Yeah. That's awesome. So purposefully leaking wrong information. <laughs> Love that. Hey, it's the best, best I could do at the time. Cause there was so much I didn't know. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Right on. Well, now, I mean, so, you know, like we talked a little bit, you know, you explained a little bit of what you guys are doing now and how that mentorship grew into a whole different world, a whole different business. So now tell me a little bit about your role in that and, you know, uh, the types of investment, you know, I know you guys said like the crypto and whatever, what's your, especially what's your role and, uh, and where are you going from uh, here next? You know, where's your next target? So, you know, for us, we had that sort of phase through businesses. So mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, you know, the company first was going and running its own operations through single family flips and wholesales and different things like that, gaining experience in real estate, uh, then grew into more commercial real estate type deals to the point where it was doing syndications and individual deals and raising capital, bringing on investors, things like that. And then eventually we got into what are investment funds. And the primary difference between an investment fund and a syndication is really just going to be the term. And And then typically in a fund, you're investing into a team and a strategy that creates a portfolio of a specific thing. Whereas a syndication is typically just raising capital for an individual deal or an individual asset. So for us on the real estate side, we presently invest into self-storage and mobile home communities. You know, these are two great areas that we feel like will continue to thrive in what we'll call uncertain economic conditions, right? So for us, you know, it's it's finding assets that we believe in and then that continue to operate. But from a decision-making standpoint, the fund is actually a portfolio. So we're putting together a diversified portfolio with numerous properties where an individual syndication would be, I'm investing in one, two, three, four main street for this purpose, for this term. Whereas a fund, the investors with a single investment can be invested into a massive portfolio with more diversification right. and with, with the intent to make it a more risk averse uh, opportunity where it can become more sustainable over long, longer periods of time. Right on. And that's, uh, I, you mentioned the, uh, mobile home, mobile home yeah. parks stuff. And, uh, it is, uh, who is, I was talking to someone else and it was because I get asked that quite a bit, um, on the real estate side, just like, Hey, well being in California, right. So it's San Diego. So they'll someone yeah. see, um, a listing for mobile home, right? Like, Hey, well, this looks great. Can I just jump on, you know, get this, I could probably get two and then rent out and whatever, but they obviously on the listings, they don't show that they have to then pay the lease for the land, which is usually more expensive. Uh, you know, that part like doubles their yeah. payment or whatever the case is too. And someone else that I was speaking with said that, yeah, that the money comes from actual owning the parks, you know, owning the land for the, for mm-hmm. that. And how, how does that play out in your experience? Is that yeah. So, so our structure is to own the community, mm-hmm. not the actual prop, not the actual home itself. Home, right, right. So, you know, uh, a, a recent property we invested in just North of DC, it's like 35 and a half acres. It's got about 210 units on it. And I mean, beautiful property and everybody that is a tenant there actually owns their own residence. So they own the residence, right? We own the lots and, and, 
you know, the community and the land there. And so right. they're paying as a tenant there, you know, and a couple of reasons I think that it is more beneficial is your long-term appreciation is a lot stronger. You don't have the same sort of capital expenditures and expenses uh, that you would do if you're owning the homes. Right. And then I think it gives us a much stronger tenant base because we're working with owners who are really taking care of their properties and, right. you know, it creates a really nice community. So, um, it allows us to be in the affordable housing sector while also being with, you know, a really great tenant base that, you know, has a lot of supply and demand deficit, right? The, right. the demand for it is, is much higher than the supply and the supply is shrinking year over year. So it's not the easiest thing to get into, right. but, um, you know, when you're into it, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for sure. Right on. How about uh, the self-storage side? That's something I definitely hadn't looked into or, or really don't know much about. So come on, Jay, it's, on time to, it's time to look into it, oh, man. Oh man. It sounds like, <laughs> well, I mean, all kidding aside here, like I, uh, what are my properties? I rent my garage, like just a, a garage because it has alley access for $350 a month for the garage, which is less than paying for a storage here. So I know that there's, I mean, it's gotta be a good, a good market for that. Yeah. So same thing, it's a tenant-based business mm -hmm. where you have, you know, multitude of individual renters, but obviously dealing with the tenants is completely different, right? The turnover on the properties is significantly different. You actually have long-term stays inside of self-storage and there's not much wear and tear at all, right? Mm -hmm. So not only is building them, you know, more cost-effective, but managing them is a lot more cost-effective and your long-term capital expenditures, again, are extremely low. So simplicity from a management position is important. And then also right. where the actual economics around it are going, right? So, you know, we see a lot more money flowing into this sector, even though, you know, roughly 70% of it is still owned by private investors. So individual operators and things like that. So we're able to go in and buy up great properties at good prices. And then we put those together inside of portfolios and then we operate and manage them with what we would call synergies because we have, you know, a broader team. So we can, we can typically do things for cheaper than the people were doing it prior to us and at a higher, you know, more efficient level, which then makes those properties much more valuable to us. than they might've been to the previous person. And then obviously we're very much in an inflationary environment and quality assets really stand to gain from that. So having your money working inside of good assets, not only allows you for good appreciation, but you've got continued great rent operations and the demand for storage has not been shrinking at all. The millennial generation is now becoming the largest users of storage, more so than we've seen in the past. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I know here storage is booming because people don't have enough space to keep their stuff anymore as they downsize and, and you know, properties smaller and smaller. And, uh, you know, as we're putting, building more and more things, they're becoming more you know, tightly packed, smaller people are moving, but also, also it's a military community, you know, like, so there's always a need for storage in those areas. So many people are gone for periods yeah. of time or, or for some people for a few years and coming back. So, or things like that, something you look for in areas that you're purchasing those storage facilities. I mean, your actual market's always extremely important. So what is, what is the actual trends within inside of that market? And do we feel like that this area will continue to be an area where people are staying and coming to? Right. Right. So obviously, you know, the need for storage when everybody's leaving an area is not going to be as high. So yeah. that's a simple way to look at it. But yeah, so we are watching market trends, where markets are at and which markets we want to be a part of. And, you know, understanding, 
really the migration patterns of where people are going. Right. And, you know, anywhere where there's a lot of transition is an area that's going to have a high demand for storage. And so, you know, you're, you're obviously looking at that, but then you're also looking at like, you know, how much square foot of storage is in an area, right. you know, how, how saturated is the market, sure. you know, and things like that. But um, a lot, a lot of different factors, but yes, that is one of them. Well, what are one of the areas then that you see um, that you feel are really trending to where's an area that people are flocking to right now? Well, I mean, a lot of people from the West Coast are transitioning. You got a lot of movement coming into Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. Texas is a state that we like. You also on the East Coast, I think you're, you're seeing a lot of people move down towards, you know, Florida, South Carolina, down down into those areas. So, I mean, those are areas we like as well. Um, our most recent, you know, investment was uh, in the Houston area. Mm-hmm. And then prior to that, we had a couple of properties that we've invested into right around the DC metro area. So DC, Maryland, oh, wow. Virginia area. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a different one. I wouldn't even think about that one to be honest. I'm from Virginia. I'm from like Southwestern Virginia, but oh, okay. I didn't even think about like the DC area as far as investing. That's interesting. Yeah. Was that for storage as well? So we did, yeah, we did a mobile home community we invested into uh, just North of DC and mm-hmm. then a self-storage just South of DC and Alexandria. Oh, right on. Awesome. I didn't never even thought about that. Uh, I mean, but I mean, it's, and it's silly not to, you know, definitely that's a, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people around there coming and going too. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. Well, what's next for you? What about your personal side? What do you, what do you like to invest in? Or do you kind of just stick mostly with whatever you guys are doing or do you do a little bit on your own? Yeah. So on your um, side. So for us, like what we're building uh-huh. as a firm is what we want to be a part of. Gotcha. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, our main expansion right now would be, we've got the fund focused in self-storage mobile home communities, okay. right? So we're bringing in investors in there and then that's where, you know, we're earning as well. So we aren't financial advisors. We're not investing for people. We're, we're investing with people, right? right? So we make money together. So that's one of our key focuses. And then also we've got a hedge fund in blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And that is another large push. So really specific types of real estate and then specific assets inside of uh, this area as well are our major focuses and where, you know, our capital time are going as well. And so that's me as well. I don't do anything outside of the company. Right on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you don't really have to, huh? You know, well, you guys, yeah, I mean, we're, we're covering some, some wide ground there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Hey, Zach, I super appreciate your time this morning, man, coming on and talk to us a wide, wide range of things, you know, but thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and you want to throw out a little contact info about, you know, what you guys are doing or, or, yeah, you know, how sure. people can reach out if they want to get involved. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, for our funds, they are for accredited investors. So these are in most cases is going to be people that are looking to put capital to work. And so if that's you, you know, and you're wanting to learn more about our funds inside of, you know, self-storage and mobile home communities, or if you want to learn more about what we're doing in crypto, I mean, I, I tell you, you know, we've been in real estate for 15 years, but when we introduce crypto, the curiosity, the amount of people that are wanting to look into this area is pretty astonishing. And, you know, the U.S. actually just came out with an executive order where they're saying they're going to want to lead in this area. So that was obviously very positive. Was that surprising to you? Um, tad bit surprising to me, I think. In a way, it was surprising. But in another way, I felt like if they didn't, it would be a terrible move. So 
I have thought for quite some time that the U.S. needed to make some shifts there. But what those shifts were going to be, what what I think is the right decision, it's not always what the government decides to do. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So strangely um, enough. <laughs> yeah. For, 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 from a monetary perspective, monetary policy, Federal Reserve, everything that's been going on with inflation, everything that's going on, obviously with, uh, the, you know, we're, we're having to understand the strength of the dollar. You've got everything going on, you know, with Russia, Ukraine, China, all these types of things really force us as a country to make decisions at a faster pace to be able to help protect the interests of the U.S., right? right. And um, I do believe that was in the best interest of the country. And so I'm interested to see where they go from here. But I think that from at least the verbiage of wanting to be a technological leader and also a leader inside these spaces is definitely news that I think is absolutely net positive for the country and net positive for the industry as a whole inside of you know blockchain technology cryptocurrency. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah, definitely. So there's just so much happening inside this space. And, and there's so much to this space that I think most people aren't aware of yet. And uh, the power of the size and uh, the opportunity, I think, is much larger than... Uh, and, and people are just now starting to realize that. So obviously, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but you know, anybody that hasn't spent time researching it, um, definitely get connected. You can reach out to us and we talk about it on a weekly basis, You know, get plugged in. But uh, yeah, you know, if you want to get connected, if you're interested in other funds or interested in learning more about, you know, crypto and things like that, we set up a text line and uh, this isn't an automated system. This goes to me. Like I, I get this message. So know that when it comes in, I'm going to be the one that messages you, but you got to text it. Don't call it. So you text the number 877-771-0615 and you just text the word info, I-N-F-O. So you text info to 877-771-0615 and that uh, will get connected from there and, you know, ask questions, learn, grow, and uh, we're happy to help you guys out. So in any way, man, I feel, you know, blessed and privileged to be able to come on and share with you guys. And I'm super thankful to be able to speak to a veteran focused group like yours. Awesome. So thanks for having me. No, thank you. Definitely appreciate it. Hopefully we'll have you back on if you, you know, if you have a little time. Yeah, definitely. That'd be fun. Awesome. If you could use an inexpensive and super convenient healthcare option, I definitely recommend checking out Skill Mills Telehealth. For me, when I did the research, it turned out that their program worked well as a supplement to VA Medical. So that's the route I went. If you go to their website for the information, skillmill.com, that's S-K-I-L-L-M-I-L.com. Go to the top, click on the telehealth button, and it'll take you to another page with the information on all their programs. Super easy, super easy to sign up. If you click on the Get Started button, fill in a little bit of basic info, you could even use your referral code Expertish Podcast in the drop down. And then from there, they'll take care of you and you're all set. Definitely highly recommend checking that out.